This recording begins with a reading of the Gospel of the Day. That will be followed by the homily from Father Paul O'Brien. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. The Spirit drove Jesus out into the desert, and he remained in the desert for 40 days, tempted by Satan. He was among wild beasts, and the angels ministered to him. After John had been arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God. This is the time of fulfillment. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The gospel of the Lord. That passage from the first chapter of Mark that we just heard brings us back a little bit from recent weeks to the very beginning of Jesus's public ministry. He is led by the Spirit into the desert where he's tempted by Satan for 40 days. And then Jesus begins his public ministry in Galilee. When he enters Galilee, the announcement that he makes is not a transcript of the first words Jesus literally speaks when he begins his public ministry. It's more a fundamental statement of everything that Jesus states and teaches throughout his public ministry. So he says, this is the time of fulfillment. The kingdom of God is at hand, meaning it's here in me. Repent and believe in the gospel. Many of us very recently heard those words stated to us in a pretty forceful way, repent and believe in the gospel. Do you remember when we heard those words? Very good, Ash Wednesday. Many of us were here for Ash Wednesday this past Wednesday for the beginning of Lent. We were blessed with ashes and we were told repent and believe in the gospel. I presume because we have the blessing of hearing that again today at Mass, we can take that as a gift. The gift is Lent has begun. Six weeks leading to the holiest days of the year, the Easter Triduum, Holy Thursday, Good Friday, Holy Saturday into Easter. Six weeks of spiritual preparation for, for many of you, being baptized and receiving the sacraments of initiation, and for the rest of us who have been baptized, preparing for the real grace of the Easter season, which is somehow the renewal of that grace of salvation. The time of fulfillment is here. This is Lent. Repent and believe in the gospel. The more Lents I live, the more it seems to me that the Sundays of Lent, the scripture we hear and the prayer we hear, is particularly a gift to people who are living Lent. It's all for everybody. If this is the first time you've ever walked into church, all of it is for every single one of us. But if you have been living Lent the last several days, I hope these readings and prayers are particularly encouraging for you to keep going. And if you haven't yet been living Lent, I hope they will lead you to enter into this season. This year, the next several Sundays, we'll hear passages that either are about or reference in the Old Testament great covenants. So covenants in the Old Testament are sort of milestone moments in which God enters into the lives of our Jewish ancestors, and God offers them more of God's self. They're privileged moments when in this totally messed up, sinful, fallen world, in new ways, for real, God enters into our ancestors' lives, 
God offers these covenants. Covenants are agreements, but they're different than human agreements. And these covenants from God, they're initiated by God, completely by God. Human beings have nothing to do with the covenants being offered, which means they're totally good for us. When you have a human agreement, you and I are coming together on an agreement. We might compromise, we might like it, we may not like it. These covenants are only from God, so they are 100% good for everybody. The terms of the covenants, when there are terms, the one we hear today, the terms are implicit, but they're not explicit. They originate from God. So if Elaine and I make a covenant, a human covenant, I might like the terms, I might not like the terms. In these covenants, whatever God invites people to choose to do, it's only good for people. If the terms are challenging, if the terms are difficult, if the terms are wonderful, no matter what, they're only good for people. And in these covenants, that they will come true is guaranteed by God. In a human agreement, maybe you'll hold up your end, maybe I'll hold up my end. In these covenants, if human beings uphold their end, the covenants will come true. The promises will come true because it all comes from God. God would never give a covenant that can't be achieved. That would be crazy. That would be a false God. So God gives the grace in these covenants, even if they're challenging, if people hold up their end, the covenants will come true. So the whole purpose of these covenants is for God to offer more of God's self to the world. Here is more of me, God. Here are the terms I'm promising you myself. If you choose freely to enter into this covenant and live the terms I give you, it will all come true. So the covenant we heard from this morning in the ninth chapter of Genesis is a very primitive covenant early in our history, our salvation history, with Noah. There is no one on this planet who has any idea how this might be connected to actual human history. No one knows. If someone tells you they know, they are smoking too much wheat. But Jewish and Christian people believe that this story is inspired by God. This is God's inspired word. So the goal is to enter into the terms of the story and ask God, well, what are you telling us about yourself and what are you telling us about us? The background of this covenant is the original creation story. Human beings are created purely out of God's love. God chooses to share God's love and life with others. At the center of this are human beings. Human beings are created completely free because freedom is part of who God is. Human beings are eighth grade LCA. We've been doing this the last several weeks. Human beings are created in the image and likeness of God, which means human beings are completely free. They are free fundamentally. These are the terms. They can put God and God's truth at the center of their lives. If they do this, they will live eternally, but they're free to do whatever they want. If they freely choose not to place God and God's truth at the center of their lives, they will die eternally. Is this like a contest? Is this some tricky God? Not at all. There is no such thing as life apart from God. So if they freely choose to not place God at the center of their lives, they will die. It's the 
automatic consequence. That shows how much God loves human beings. That's just in a human relationship. If I love Alex, I'll know how much I love him when he turns away from me and he rejects me and I accept it because I accept his freedom. You know that if you're a parent, you really know you love your child when your child freely chooses to do what's wrong, to turn away from you, but you still accept that freedom. It's so painful. You wish you could, I wish I could take that freedom away. God so loves us that God never takes away our freedom. So that's the background of the story. In the story, most of humanity has freely, knowingly chosen to not place God at the center of their lives. They've embraced evil. They love it. They are living wicked lives. God so loves them, God accepts this ridiculous decision, which is going to lead to death. In the story, a great flood comes, and the flood takes away all of the evil and all of the wickedness. The revelation? God is just. God's truth, ultimately, is fulfilled. The terms are, you turn away from me, long term, death will come. The flood is not mean, the flood is not cruel, the flood is simply justice. What is evil and what is wicked is taken away. And there's more. In the story, there's a man named Noah. He and a few of his family members, in the midst of this huge, earthwide wickedness, they freely choose to place God at the center of their lives and to place God's truth at the center of their lives. This is not easy. It's challenging to do this, particularly in the midst of all this wickedness. They are very different from other people. Noah experiences a great passion in his life. It is really a passion to stay true to living in God, but he does. God loves Noah completely and his family. God knows every good choice that he makes and that they make. God never loses track of Noah in the sea of humanity. God stays with Noah. God remains completely true to Noah. And God leads Noah through this passion of living in this life. And when the flood comes and takes away all the evil, Noah is saved. The waters of the flood save Noah and his family from the wickedness and the evil around them. At the end of the story, the surprise is God offers a new covenant to all of humanity through Noah. Think about this. Humanity is still fallen. People are still going to reject God. God, of all things, humanity doesn't deserve anything. God offers a new covenant to Noah and all of humanity through him. The revelation, God is merciful. God's love is greater than just pure justice. Injustice, this should be the end. But God is merciful. God loves beyond just justice. This is all about you and me. It's the same God. God has not changed. God made you. However you came into this world, no matter the circumstances of your parents, no matter how you came into this world, God chose to create you. 
God completely loves you. God never loses track of you in the whatever number of people live on this planet. And no matter how evil and wicked we can be on this planet, God never misses a moment of your life. God has placed in you the same reality as he has from the beginning of creation. You are totally free to do whatever you want with your life. You can place God at the center and God's truth or whatever you want. In that second reading from 1 Peter we heard about 2,000 years ago, God offered you and me God's final, new, eternal covenant. About 2,000 years ago, in this fallen, sinful world, God offered us, I'm repeating this on purpose, God's final covenant. And we hear this at every Mass, listen later on, God's new and eternal offer, covenant, who is Jesus, a person. Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God, who in the fullness of time, about 2,000 years ago, came to this world to offer us the fullness of God. Jesus Christ is God. God's final offer to us is Jesus. And our end of that covenant is to choose to live as Jesus. God offers us the fullness of himself, and in Jesus, we can choose, if we want, to become his disciples, day by day to live as him. God's final offer to humanity is God's self. God's final terms, if you want to be part of this, if you want to live eternally, is to live as Jesus. Six weeks from today, starting Holy Saturday evening, most of us, maybe all of us, are going to stand up probably in this church with hundreds of millions of people around the world, and we are going to say at the Easter vigil or Easter morning, I accept this covenant. I believe Jesus is God's final offer. I believe he's the Son of God. I believe he's risen from the dead. And we're going to stand up in public, most or all of us, and we're going to say, I commit myself to living as his disciple. I accept the covenant. I will live as Jesus. When we stand up and say that, some of us, and at this particular Mass, a lot of you, are going to receive that reality of salvation through the waters of baptism at the depth of your soul. The rest of us who have already been baptized are going to receive through the real grace of the Easter season, the grace of the renewal of salvation. These are the holiest days of the year. The single most important thing you and I will do this year is stand up in public and say who we are at the depths of our beings at Easter. The extent to which that's going to be true, the extent to which those graces will unfold, God will know and you ultimately will know. I have no idea. What I do know is for the next six weeks, I intend, in my sinfulness, and you guys know I'm a scum, I intend to prepare for that. I intend six weeks from now to have really seriously through Lent, one day at a time, taken seriously my sin, to turn away from it, and because I'm already baptized, to receive complete forgiveness through the sacrament of penance and reconciliation, 
I intend every day, I promise you I will do this, to be much more focused on repenting. And I intend for the next six weeks, every day, to be more faithful to the gospel, to listen to Jesus' word much more intently every day, and to work to put it into practice much more intently every day. I hope you will join me in doing this. I know many of you are already doing this. Lent is one of God's primary graces he gives us each year. It comes once. It's completely real. If you're an adult or a teenager, you've got a spiritual guide for each day of Lent in the bulletin. There are many other guides out there. You don't have to wake up every day and say, hey, what should I do? If you use that guide, you can read the gospel reading. It'll guide you through some reflection. If you're younger, same idea at different levels, one day at a time, six weeks, still in Lawrence, not off on a mountain, repent and believe in the gospel. The truth is, this is the time of fulfillment. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. You have been listening to Father Paul O'Brien, pastor of St. Patrick Parish in Lawrence, Massachusetts. For more information about the parish and to get involved, please go to stpatrickparish.com or follow us on social media. Thank you for listening.